about four days ago, I'm putting my, my twins to bed. We call them twins. They're not really twins. They're Irish twins. All right, 11 months apart. And uh, the, only, the only half Asian and black twins you're going to meet in your life. But um, we call them the twins. They act like twins. They stay in the same room. Kai's got his bunk bed up top. Max has his down below. I think there's a picture of Max uh, up on the screen. They both love doing Legos. And Max has a buddy uh, that lives in uh, the neighborhood. And uh, 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 he had come over. And they were playing Legos. And uh, neither one of them at their age is great at cleaning up the Legos afterwards, okay? So I walk down into the room. It's bedtime. I'm tired. I'm probably not at my best. And uh, Max, whom I love with my entire being, has a difficult time going to bed at night, okay? Uh, There's something about nighttime that seems to begin to ramp his energy levels up. Okay, when I'm trying to get them to come down. And uh, I walk into the room, and Max is goofing around, and there's just these Legos everywhere. Okay, all these things. Now, they had created some cool uh, uh, um, different vehicles and and buildings and this kitchen thing. uh, That was this right here. And I tell Max, I'm like, dude, you got to clean it up. He's like, well, I didn't didn't do it, which is a total lie. It was absolutely him. Whoa, my friend didn't put him away. And I said, Max, that, like, that's not how it works. You go over to his house, you take stuff out, you don't put it away either. I said, it wasn't your brother who did it, it was you that did it. You need to put it away. You need to clean up. You need to be more responsible, man. Like, come on, let's get at it. And of course, Max, like, he's very easily distracted. So he starts to, besides kind of complaining about the fact that he's got to put away some Legos, he starts to pick them up, and instead of putting them away, he starts to play with them. So I say to Max, I say, Max, you better put it away or I will help you put them away. Maybe not the finest intro to my life lessons and discipline, but I'm letting him know you better do something. And so he starts to give me a little bit of lip again about how he, he doesn't want them to get broken because these are like sets. And, you know, if you put them away and with all the other Legos that, you know, if something breaks off, it's harder to find that particular piece, da 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 and, uh, I, and, and I look over at him again, and he is again starting to play with something. I said, fine, Max, I'll help you pick them up. So I took it, and I did this. At which point, he started to cry. Now I'm a good dad. So I said to him, well, that's exactly what you get for not putting your stuff away. If you would just do what you're supposed to do, we wouldn't have this issue. If you weren't playing with them, Max, you would have been able to put them away. And he's crying, and this is when I know I'm a great dad, when my son, his older brother by 11 months, starts trying to console him. Dad, you you broke my Legos, you know, I'm not going to be able to put them back together. And Kai's like, man, Max, I'll help you tomorrow. Well, I'll help you. And I I say, get in bed. It's way past, go to sleep. You know, Dad, are you going to pray with me? Not tonight. (laughs) I told you I'm awesome. (laughs) And I walked out of the room. And I went down to my daughter's room, and I put her to bed. And as I'm walking back out, God the whole time is saying to me something. I want to come back to the story a little bit later. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5. We are actually looking at, um, if we thought the Beatitudes was a very well-known portion from the Sermon on the Mount, I think what we're going to be looking at this morning is probably the second most well-known verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we use them. Uh, we use some of these phrases all the time uh, in, in in our English language, uh, whether you're a Christian or not. Uh, probably the only passage of scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, if you need a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand, um, and someone can help you. There's a there's a table of contents in the front of the Bible. It can help you find where Matthew is, what page it's on. The the Sermon on the Mount also has uh, the Lord's Prayer in it. Okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, etc. That's probably the most well-known passage from the Sermon on the Mount. But what we're going to read right now is, I think, probably the second most well-known. I think you'll agree once we read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, last week was about who gets in, okay? That was the question that Jesus was answering with the Beatitudes, okay? It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has called all these people together. He sits down, begins to teach them. These are folks that he had just been healing. I think there might even be a picture that we could show of kind of where this took place in Israel. You'll see it's like this uh, um, hillside, All these people around there, these are all folks that Jesus would have recently been healing and teaching, and they want more, right? And so he sits down to teach them, and he starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who, and Jesus' point was, who gets into the kingdom of God? And it wasn't what everybody expected. Jesus said anybody, anyone gets into the kingdom of God if they're willing to seek, if they're willing to ask. And that was shocking news because at the time they would have thought like, well, it's really got to be the religious, right? The, one, the ones who really know how to uh, uh, understand what Scripture teaches and, and, they, and they really follow it. Well, it's got to be folks that are connected or, or it's got to be the wealthy because obviously God's blessed them because look what they got. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. If you really want to know what it means to be blessed, it's not about your circumstances. It's about whether or not you're in a relationship with God. So, The point of the Beatitudes was basically to answer the question, who gets in? And it's a beautiful answer. Anybody that wants to. Anybody that's willing to seek. Anybody who comes to Christ. Now, in this next section, there's actually another question that I think is getting asked. It's not about who gets in. It's about recognizing who's actually in. You see, salt was used for a bunch of things in the ancient world. Uh, uh, salt was actually kind of like the duct tape, okay, of the ancient world. Uh, there are seven or eight different things that salt was used for. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I think that there's probably at least three main things that Jesus is referring to, okay? I don't know that there's like one particular usage of salt that Jesus was intending. I, I think he was probably saying like, look, y'all know salt gets used for a lot of different things, 
you are the salt of the earth. So what is salt used for? Well, just like today, uh, we use it as a flavoring agent. They did as well. Have you ever had, like, some chicken at somebody's house that they made? Okay. And, 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 and there was, like, no seasoning put on it? Like, what do you say? Is there any salt on the table? Right? Because you take a bite of that chicken with no salt, it's like, and then you put a little bit of salt on it, and it's crazy. Isn't it crazy, like, what salt can do to all kinds of different foods? Like eggs and chicken, some steak, some almost anything. Salt, like, makes it, like, it's supposed to add flavor, bring something out. Well, that's what Christians are supposed to be to the world that we live in. Well, we're supposed to be folks that actually add some flavor, all right? So those of us who are blessed by being a part of King Jesus' kingdom should make the world a better, a more flavorful place. We should bring joy and laughter, fun, excitement to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our families. Now, uh, let's be honest about this, though. Some folks, this is like really easy, right? Like they're just generally chipper, happy folks. I don't see her in here today, but Stephen's wife, Emily, Emily Van Hoven, She's like one of those, like, just, you, you get around her and she just, like, bubbles up with joy, okay? I'm sure that there's times that Emily's got her moods. Never. <laughs> She's not even here, man. You can be honest, okay? <laughs> we all do, but there's, like, some folks it's just easy for, okay? Other folks, though, it just seems like just normally grumpy, does nobody want to be around somebody who's like normally grumpy? And I think we need to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Like if you generally despise joy, right, you should ask yourself why. It may, need, it may be that you need to recognize what God has done for you. Not that all your circumstances are perfect. Not that everything is easy. Not that life has all of a sudden become some fairy tale. But understanding what God has done for us ought to elicit a response because our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy should come from our identity. And the more that you begin to understand what it means and what you've been given, why you're actually hashtag blessed, the more joy should begin to spill out of you. Now, I'm not saying you've got to become like somebody that you're not. Okay, We all have different personalities. God's given us our different personalities. But if you're never joyful, happy, like then you're missing out on one of the things that it means to be salt in this world. Now, now let me say something about this. We, we had a little real talk earlier. This is some real talk too. Uh, some of you, it may be because you're actually depressed or struggle with anxiety. Those are real issues. And, 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 and if you really are struggling with ever to find joy... You really ought to talk to somebody about that. Uh, I'm a big fan of counseling, personally. I think counseling is uh, incredibly important. I see a counselor. I think, I'm, I think strong people are actually the ones who are willing to admit that they don't have everything together. And so if that's you and you're like, man, I really struggle in this area. Like, I know I want to, but I just never feel it. I have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes. You might be struggling with, like, a, a clinical depression. You need to talk to somebody about that and get some help. Because that really matters. Sometimes we, we need uh, some different behaviors. 
for our bodies to produce some of the chemicals that we all need. Sometimes we need a medicine that will help us to produce some of those things. Sometimes we need folks that we continue to see. Okay, that, that's important. But we ought to be a flavor in this world that makes things taste a little bit better. Now, my guess is there are some folks, though, that it's not a clinical issue. Maybe you're like me and you, you grew up in a place where like, it was cool to, to act hard. Like, I grew up in Flint. And so when I was in Flint, like, that's just all my, all, all my boys always tried. <laughs> right? And that's how you walk around like that. Like, it's supposed to make you look tough for something. Okay? Really, usually what it is, is it, 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 it's a defense mechanism of fear. And so we try to keep people at arm's length. I, I sometimes do this. Sometimes I'll be in a mood where I'm just like, I don't feel like talking to anybody. And I know that a dude with a beard who walks with a little bit of confidence and furrows his brow just a little bit and kind of looks down, folks won't mess with you. The, the greeter at Meyer won't even say hello. I can walk into Costco sometimes and they won't even ask for my membership card. Okay? But here's the problem with that, though, is I don't think that that's actually expressing the salt that Jesus says I'm supposed to be. Now, I get it. All of us have little moves from time to time. But, like, if there is nothing about your normal life and the way that you interact with people that draws them in, that adds some flavor, some deliciousness to the world around you, you, you need to stop and ask the question, why? Is there something going on chemically, clinically, that I, that I need to look into? Or, or do I need to understand who God is a little bit better? Do I need to engage a little bit more with what God has done in my life and what that actually means? Flavor. The second thing that salt was also used for uh, was a fertilizer. So if you put too much salt in a field, like, do we have any farmers in here? I didn't think so. Do we have anybody that actually has like a garden? Like you grow some vegetables? Okay, thank you. If you put lots of salt in your garden, you will kill everything, okay? But if you use the right amount of salt in with the fertilizer, you will find that it actually is a growing agent, uh, there's a guy, his name is uh, Robert Gundry. He says this. Robert Gundry and others note that salt was a minor but essential ingredient in fertilizer, especially in the first century, and Gundry suggests that earth should be translated as soil. You are the salt of the soil, and the disciples are thus to help the world grow and prosper. I think Jesus had this in mind as well. Not only do we add flavor to the world around us by simply being a part of it, but we help the world to grow and prosper. So uh, let me say this, if you maybe own a company, a business, where you employ others, the question would be, how are you helping to grow and prosper them? Not simply grow and prosper your bottom line, but grow and prosper the folks that work for you. And not just maybe so they can earn a paycheck, but to actually see them grow as people, as individuals. How are you helping your neighborhood to grow and prosper? The way that you take care of your home should show that you're a follower of Jesus. The way that you build community within your neighborhood, simply smiling and waving at your neighbor who refuses to smile and wave back. That's all right. Like we should be growing and prospering the different areas that we live in, that we work in, our families. What are we doing to grow and prosper? That's one of the things that salt actually does. The third thing that salt does. Um, before I tell you this third thing, though, uh, I'd like you to experience it. 
So this is what I need everybody to do. Everybody, I need you to close your eyes. Don't no cheating. Close them eyes. Okay. The ushers are going to be coming down the aisles, and they're going to be passing out a plate. On this plate, there are little tiny pieces of meat that are cut up. Stop peeking. I see you. These little tiny pieces of meat have been cut up. I just want you to take one. Some of the pieces have been cured with salt and have been preserved and are delicious, and some we've been left out for the last week, okay? Once you take one of these pieces, I want you to put it in your mouth, and you will instantly know which one you got. I'm kidding. You can open up your eyes and passing out. No rotten meat to everybody. That would have been awesome though, right? It's kind of like playing Bean Boozled. You ever played that? You're like, I don't know if I just got vomit or if I just got, you know, chocolate. It's like, it's... But that's what salt does. That's one of the things that we don't really use salt for all that much. I mean, yes, uh, we do sometimes still use salt to cure bacon or to cure prosciutto, okay? There's a couple pictures of what that looks like. But for the most part, we don't really use salt to preserve things. Back in this time, salt was used to preserve. That's why salt was so valuable, so important, because otherwise stuff would rot. Now we just throw it in the fridge, well, they didn't have a fridge back then. I think if they did have fridges back then, though, it would probably be a manna fridges. Get it, manna fridge. You got to work with me, people. I got jokes for days, but you got to work with me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> now, like, salt was used to preserve things. And, and as disciples of Jesus who live in this world, we're supposed to be salt and light. And salt preserves things. Salt helps things from getting rotten. That, that's what we as the church are supposed to be in society. That's what we as... And when I say the church, understand, I'm not talking about the, the building. I'm talking about the people, okay? Like that's us collectively each one of us doing our part in the places that God has placed us. But the fact that we gather together, like this should be a lot of salt that should do some serious preserving in Grand Rapids. That's what God wants for us, a preserving effect on our culture, on our neighborhoods, on our workplaces, on our city. The next thing Jesus talks about is the fact that we're supposed to be light, okay? He says, you are the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, this one's pretty straightforward, okay? Light hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. It was fast back then. It's still fast today, okay? Light is light. Now, how we get our light is a little bit different, okay? I doubt there's very many of you that still use oil lamps in your house for light. Now it's like LED this and CFL that and incand I don't know what all, incandescent, right? That's in the, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. But light is still the same. Light is meant to dispel darkness. That's the point of light. Let me say that again. The point of light is to dispel darkness what light does. Wherever light goes, it can't help it. Uh, this is why nobody would ever light an oil lamp and then put it under a bowl. You see, you wouldn't go out to the market in the first century and buy oil, which was costly and expensive, 
and then put it into a lamp, okay, and light it, and then come and take a bowl and put it over top. You'd never do that because the oil is costly. And because the point of light is to dispel darkness. All right, there, there's a reason that wasting light has always been frowned upon. It's the same reason your mama yells at you for leaving lights on when you leave your room. All right, light isn't supposed to be wasted. Light is supposed to dispel darkness. That, that's the purpose. Uh, Dr. Daryl Turner, he actually is a professor at uh, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, uh, lives right here, but he's like a, a world-renowned New Testament scholar. He wrote one of the uh, foremost commentaries on Matthew, and he said this, and, and I loved it. He said, perhaps the dual images of salt and light are intended to portray two aspects of witness. Witness is just like sharing the fact that you're a Christian, okay? Showing it in your life, the way that you act, the way that you live, the way that you talk. Intended to portray the two aspects of witness that are not easy to balance, engagement and distinctiveness. As salt, Jesus' disciples must engage the world, but as light, they must never allow their engagement to lead to the compromise of kingdom values and their assimilation to the world. Jesus perfectly and harmoniously models both images. Salt only works when it comes in contact with something that needs to be preserved. And light only works when it's not hidden. He goes on, Jesus does, in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We do these things to glorify God. That's, that's the purpose, not to look good. And this can be a struggle sometimes. Like, I feel it as a pastor. Because I, I have to get up and I have to talk about Scripture. And, and I want to put it in words and, and images that make sense to, to our day and age. So sometimes that means sharing stories. And sometimes I'll admit, man, I struggle. Because I'm like, ooh, I'm going to do this because I know that would make a good illustration. Well, that doesn't sound like the kind of heart attitude that God is actually talking about. In fact, it actually sounds way more like the kind of attitude that he's against. One that says, I do something for show rather than I do something because God has asked me to and I'm doing it out of a heart of love. We're going to see this idea of heart motivation and that God cares much more about the motivation than he does the actual action all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the things that he reminds us with. Yes, we're to be salt and light, but the motive is always not for our glory, but for God's glory. So, I said last week that we would answer the question of who gets in, and this week we'd be answering the question of how do you know if somebody actually is in. So this is where this might get me in, in a little bit of trouble. All right, Because I think there's kind of three options here. One, you are salt and light, and it shows. Okay? Two, you are salt and light, but it's not showing. Now, 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 Jesus talks about two things that actually show that this is supposed to be nearly impossible to happen, to actually be salt and light and it not show. Uh, number three, you're not actually salt and light, and it shows. I think those are the three options that, that we're left with here. This is where I said it might give me a little bit of trouble. So you want to know one of the things that, honestly, I wrestle with more than anything, that I'm fearful of probably more than anything, is um, 
I'm a pastor in West Michigan. I didn't grow up in West Michigan, um, but when I moved here in 01, those first few years, God allowed me to fall in love with West Michigan. I loved it. Like, you can put me on the board of tourism. I didn't want to move here back in 01. I was like, Grand Rapids? Everybody says it's a great place to raise a family. I was like, that's like insider speak for super boring. Okay? <laughs> Which is what it was back in 01, to be honest. But I, 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 I had the privilege of moving here, and I saw the city grow up, and I fell in love with this place. But I know that uh, because Grand Rapids has a, a beautiful history of Christianity, it has actually had what I think is a reversely negative effect. Because people grew up around Christianity. They grew up around salt and light. And what I fear we've wound up with is a lot of folks that are religious but have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And I'm honestly genuinely afraid that there's going to be a higher than normal average from West Michigan that hears what Jesus talked about later in this gospel, that when they meet Jesus face to face, he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, but Jesus, we did this. We went to church. We gave a little bit of money. We tried to be nice. And Jesus said, I, didn't, I never knew you. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely afraid of that. Because there's folks that, quite honestly, they do religious things, okay? And sometimes it gives off a little bit of heat, but it's not giving off light. They do religious things that uh, um, taste a little bit like something, but it's not salt. And, and, and I just want folks to know, like, man, don't be so prideful that you can't honestly assess your life. Just going to church doesn't make you a Christian, okay? Just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car, you, you can be a car outside of the garage, okay? And, and I just want folks to say, like, look, don't, don't feel so afraid that, like, well, but everybody's going to, everybody assumes that I am, and so I don't really want to ask this question. Like, just ask the question. If you call yourself a Christian, but have no idea how to answer the question, if Jesus were to ask you why he would let you into heaven, what would you say? If you don't know how to answer that, then, man, like, at least ask, at least say, like, Maybe I've got some work to do. Now, if you're a brand new believer, if like, if like faith is newer to you, cool. Like you don't need to know everything. You don't got to get everything down. Like it's all right. Like it's going to take some time, okay? I remember when I was like 20, I had been following Christ for a long time. I grew up in church. I went to Bible college and I remember I was a pastor and I would see some of these older pastors and they would like talk about scripture and they like had stuff memorized and they knew answers to stuff. And I was like, man, I feel like such an idiot. Like I don't know nothing and I'm never going to get there. And now I'm 43, and I'm like, you know what, 20 years of consistently staying in the Word and learning, I'm like, hey, I know some of that stuff now. Like, I, like that's what I want for you. So if you're newer to faith, don't freak out. But if you've been around the church for a long time, but salt and light doesn't seem to show up in what you're about, if you're just chasing after the same things, if like your job is about your bottom line and what you can do in life rather than what God's called you to, then at least ask the question. So I think there's two ways, though, that salt and light shows itself, okay? So for those of us that say, hey, we are truly followers of Christ, and salt and light is going to show itself, I think, in two ways. Number one, it shows the way that we treat others, so that's that sacrificial love, caring for God's creation, caring about justice, the way that we serve others, okay? 
That's how it shows up. So this is why we do Kenoshe. This is why we're engaged in one of the local elementary schools here. We need more folks to say, hey, I'm willing to volunteer uh, two or three hours a month or two or three hours a week if you can. We need folks that are going to step into that. Uh, it, it's, it's also uh, why we share our faith. It's why, as a church, we do the River Day cleanup with the mayor here in GR, right? Because we believe in that stuff. Like, like we want to have, like, it should show in the way that we treat others. It's what you do in your neighborhoods, all right? But there is a second way, too. It also shows in how we handle our failures, our mistakes, and our sin. Uh I put Bella to bed, and I was coming back, and God was already starting to say to me, wow, T, that, that was really kind of a jerky thing you did there. That, that was uh, um, a real abuse of your power. Good thing I'm not like that to you, huh? And I want to say, but Jesus, you know what Max is like at night. You telling me you wouldn't get frustrated too? But all along, Jesus is saying to me, you, you need to go and make this right. I mean, when, when your own son is trying to comfort his brother because of what his dad has just done, you need to go and make this right. It's not an issue of pride. Don't let your pride get in the way. So I walked back down and I said, ah, dang it. I went into his room, and I kneeled down next to his bed, and I said, Max, I'm sorry. I said, Daddy got frustrated, and, and, and Daddy abused his power. And I said, I knew when I threw those Legos in there that they were going to break, and I did it on purpose, and that wasn't a nice thing to do, and I owe you an apology. Will you forgive me? And then I also had to get up and talk to Kingston and say the same thing to him. Hey, dad really messed up and I need you to forgive me too because you, you saw all that. And they, of course, have super soft hearts, way softer than mine. And they're like, daddy, we forgive you. We love you. I'm like, thank you guys. I'm going to work at that. But see, I think as Christians, there's a couple of different ways that we're salt and light. Sometimes we're salt and light because of what we do, and sometimes we're salt and light preserving the world because we don't allow our pride to get in the way and we admit our failures and our mistakes. And we make reparations. We do what needs to be done to fix what we've broken. Salt and light is how disciples of Jesus just are. <laughs> we don't have to try it's just what we are if we actually allow ourselves. So here's what I want to ask you. As the band is coming up to lead us into a time of worship this morning, I'd like you guys to kind of ask where you're at on the salt light spectrum, okay? The salt light spectrum. Are you somebody who maybe needs to engage a little bit more? You'd be a little bit more salty, right? Salt only works when it gets rubbed in to the meat around it, to the people around it. That's how salt preserves. It has to engage. So as God may be saying, hey, you know what, this is an area that I need to see you engage a little bit more. I need to see you uh, engaging in your neighborhoods, with your friends, with your family, with your co-workers, like in your city. I need to see you engage a little bit more for my glory. Maybe you need to be a little bit more light, a little bit more distinct, 
paying attention to the ways that you act around friends, around coworkers, who actually deserve to see that you're distinct, that there's something different about you, that it actually shows in the way that you live, in what you talk about, in the ways that you act, okay? The church is supposed to be an ingredient in society that keeps it from spoiling, from disintegrating, and this happens when we speak and live truth, and when we speak and live grace. Truth and grace, they both have to be a part of that. Let's pray together as we now spend some time praising God for what he's done. God, thanks for the privilege we have of engaging in your word. God, we want to be a people who actually not just talk about these concepts, but actually live them. Jesus, I do. And God, I'm thankful for opportunities when you extend grace to me when I'm not perfect at it. But God, let us be a people, a people that actually our salt and our light, dispelling darkness, preserving the world, adding flavor to it. Let it show in our lives, in our words, in our actions and our motives. Jesus, for your glory and your glory alone.